0: Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, podcast listeners, digital agency owners, welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm really glad you're here. Today we've got Jake Jorgovan on our program. Jake's been on a lot of YouGurus stuff kind of for our members and community, and he's shared a ton of his uh, about his superpower, which is helping you guys win your dream clients. He is the founder of a company called Outbound Creative that helps agencies win their dream clients. He's the author of an upcoming book called Win Your Dream Clients. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, and prior to starting this business, he ran business development for a video production agency Uh, that won business for multiple Fortune 500 clients and A-list touring artists, which is really cool. So we're going to be diving into some of those strategies and tactics that Jake uses to help people win their dream clients today. Jake, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me on here, Brent.
0: So Jake, tell us a little bit about what you do right now. What is Outbound Creative?
1: So Outbound Creative is basically my consultancy where I focus on helping Agencies and consultants win their dream clients.
0: Dream clients. How did uh, how did how did you come up with that?
1: Uh, I basically the the way it all started was I actually um, had an agency previously, and I helped, uh, or basically at the time, I ran what was called a, a dream client campaign as a way for us to really get to the next tier of customers. We were doing really good work. We wanted to go to the next level, so. Uh, We ran what was called Dream Client Campaign, where we basically built a list of our top 30 customers and then went after them really intensely and just stayed in front of them until we got their business. And so that's kind of how this whole entire thing kicked off and started, where I started off doing Dream Client Campaigns for other people. And um, it's kind of evolved a little bit now to where I actually do a bit more holistic consulting, but I still do quite a few Dream Client Campaigns for companies to really help them take their tier of clients to not just having any clients, but really getting to those ideal clients that they want to get in front of.
0: So I'm thinking about what, uh, you know, this idea of getting dream clients, and obviously you did that for uh, your creative services business. Was there a time that you did not have dream clients or that you were working with people that you didn't like working with or weren't ideal for your business that kind of pushed you towards uh, trying to figure that out?
1: Whenever I had my first agency, um, we started off and, you know, I was basically, the way I got almost all of our business was just networking and word of mouth. And so I just tried to be really active, going out, meeting people. And that's how pretty much for the first three years, we got all of our business. And it was cool because at times I would just network my way into some really amazing opportunities and really cool clients. But then those projects would end and then we'd be stuck doing this work that we absolutely hated to just pay the bills. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so we kind of realized, okay, like this networking's cool, but it's kind of random. We're kind of, you know, we're trying to go to where our clients were, but it's always just who you end up meeting and whatnot. Um, and so that's kind of what sparked it is whenever we had to go from doing these amazing clients that we were excited about back to doing this terribly horrible, boring work. Um, that was kind of the moment we decided, Hey, let's try to run one of these dream client campaigns. Um, let's try to be really focused and intentional about who we go after.
0: Let's talk about networking and word of mouth for a minute, because I think a lot of people that are listening, uh, at least I know when I ask uh, large audiences of rooms, like, what's your main way you get clients? People often tell me networking and word of mouth is their main way that they get clients. And you touched on something which was uh, kind of random and unexpected, like you don't know when you're going to get that next networking and word of mouth uh, referral. Uh, so, So why is that? you know, why is networking word of mouth maybe good, but also why was it bad for you? Why did you finally, besides just the the unexpected, like what did that actually do for your business?
1: Yeah. I mean, at, at the start, it was good for me. I think there's a lot you learn from having to like pitch or sell to someone just in person or making those connections. And there's all, I and mean, when you can meet someone in person or just networking that way, it's phenomenal. And like networking and word of mouth is great, but I think the underlying issue is that it's, it's kind of random. You know, it's whoever refers to you and the people in your net net network may not refer whoever your ideal client actually is. They may have a slightly different perception about what you do as opposed to what you want to do, especially as like young businesses, they're kind of building up and everything. Um, it's you know very common that you're taking a lot of work, but then you're slowly kind of niching or defining over time. And so a lot of times those referrals or those networking or those people that you bump into, don't always align to like the direction of where you're actually wanting to go. Um, and I think that that's kind of where the downside of it is. And when people just rely on those, they end up just with this generalist agency that just takes whatever versus when you start actually trying to put some specific sales and marketing tactics in place, then you can start to be more intentional about who you go after and who you sign on board.
0: I think of a person that relies on 100% networking and word of mouth as... I mean, I don't mean this in a mean way, but kind of just not marketing their business. They're just they're just not doing any marketing. They're just working, and they're going project to project, and hopefully those things line up for themselves. Uh, but it's it's almost like the lack of marketing.
1: Yeah, it's and it's the the, the 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 terrible part about it is I don't know how many companies I've come into contact with that are like three or four years into running their business and they've still never done anything and they might even be at like a million dollar a year business and then they're suddenly at this point where they're like oh my gosh we're hitting this huge slump or like it's not working and we don't know where it's coming and so it's it never ceases to amaze me how far you can get with that but then whenever that suddenly dries up they realize they are in no control at all (laughs) over um you know where they're going to get their next work from
0: That happened to us as an agency where we didn't know where our next client was coming from. And we also had no control over, I mean, like you said, the type of business. I mean, maybe we'd get a referral from one of our early stage kind of startup scraping by clients and it would be another early stage scraping by client and it would be a, you know, small value project and it wouldn't really be ideal. And um, I think lacking that system or that intention in your business can cause a lot of growth problems. Um, so you had your creative agency and uh, and then you decided that this dream client thing was was more interesting. So tell me a little bit about that transition of going from, um, you know, doing being a creative service provider, using this as a tactic for your own business to this actually becoming your business. So,
1: you know, whenever I ran this for my agency, you know, what we did was our whole, our clientele, we eventually realized our best clientele were event planners Um, because we were designing graphics and uh, videos for the stage production. So for us, we went after and we built a list of these top 30 event planners. We went after them and, you know, got meetings with about seven of those top event planners and then generated opportunities with about three. And then like the first project we won was just massive and the biggest, you know, client we'd ever worked with, the biggest name in the end, like it was literally one of the biggest events in the industry. So Like it was majorly successful. And then over the next years, that continued to pay dividends as more and more of those event planners we contacted started bringing us projects and we started to work with them and build those relationships. And so it was, you know, eventually I I left that agency because my partner and I had different directions we wanted to go. As you know, I eventually left and traveled all over the world. So, um, you know, we just had different life directions we were going. And so I then kind of, Decided to go into basically um, consulting to basically implement those for others. But I I guess I'll even say that there was almost like a there's actually an intermediary gap in that when I left my agency and actually did web design, digital marketing for a while because I didn't even really grasp that how valuable that dream client campaign was until a few years down the line is actually when I started to realize how powerful this was and how most other people weren't using this type of strategy or this tactic at all. Um, and that's when I actually started doing this and implementing it for others. So there's a few years where I actually got into web design and digital marketing and everything on my own. Um, and then eventually, I started taking this and consulting and helping other people get clients because I realized so many agencies out there really struggle with that side of their business. And they're much better at the implementation than I am.
0: You've mentioned, and we've kind of talked about this this dream client campaign Uh, can you, and and you kind of snagged me uh, through this methodology. You caught my attention. I'm not saying that I'm a difficult person to catch his attention, but um, (laughs) you use this beyond just uh, trying to win clients, but actually... Um, trying to get attention from influencers or, or anybody that you're really trying to have a meeting with that you think could benefit your business or, or, or whatever you're doing. Uh, and and I, you know, I can either talk about what I experienced uh, or, or you can tell a little bit about like what a typical dream client campaign is. I'll, I'll kind of let you choose.
1: Well, why don't you share your experience and then I'll dive into um, a little bit more of that. But I think hearing it, the audience hearing it from your perspective, I think would be interesting.
0: All right. So I I uh you know, I'm at my office one day and I get this package in the mail. It's a uh and it's been a while since I since I did this, so I might I might uh uh Uh, Missed some of the details, but basically it was a brown paper wrapped box, like kind of what you'd get like as a present. And there was a piece of twine around it uh, that was kind of, you know, holding it together and um, it, you know, had my address and all that kind of stuff that was, it was written on that. So, you know, I get mailed this box, very just unique package in general. It wasn't like a FedEx envelope or something like that. That's uh, maybe standard or companies are using in scale. So I get this like really nice box in the mail um, open it up and inside of it is, is basically this hollowed out book, um, which is like kind of weird. Uh, you know, you're like, okay, this is interesting. And I open up this book and inside of it, there is a, a scroll, uh, like, you know, think, um, you know, uh, I don't know, like, you know, back in the days of, of castles and knights or whatever. So there's this scroll that I, I undo. And here's this, uh, a kind of handwritten note. Um, I think it was like typed, but it was like put into, uh, you know, some script type font. Um, but it basically talked about, uh, it was like, you know, Jake introducing himself to me. And it was not just generic. It said, hey, Brent, um, you know, and there was like a note in there of, I, you know, I saw you on this podcast or this webinar or whatever. And um, I, I'm interested in Um, Us getting to talk with one another, blah, blah, blah. And then there was this little card in there that was like, hey, uh, I made a video just for you. And so I, I, you know, go to the URL and here is Jake basically introducing himself on a, you know, an unlisted private uh, YouTube video where he's actually talking to uh, to me about some things that he saw about my social profiles, about some of the projects that I was working on, about some of our products and programs and had actually done his homework on that. Right. So, um, so that is all well and good. I'm like, what the heck? And, you know, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to like build this business. And I wasn't thinking about Jake when I woke up that morning or needing what Jake's services were. So I, I put it on the side. I just put it like on my desk. I mean, it was this whole production. So it didn't like go in the trash or anything. It just sat there and and then I I didn't I didn't act on it right away. And that was I think where I was super impressed was then you followed up with me. You were like, Hey Brent. Uh, I got this email that was like, hey, uh, I know you don't know who I am, but I sent you this package. I'm just, just want to verify you got it. And then it was like, yep, got it. And then it was like, cool. And then, I mean, we went back and forth. Like you did not, I I wasn't that easy to just get on, on my calendar. I mean, it probably took a month, but it was that box sat on my desk the whole time. And every time you emailed me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Jake. Like that, you know, and I, I think even uh, I'm not even sure I went to the video right away. Like you were like, "Hey, did you uh, check that out?" And finally, like it, it took me a little while to make time for it. Um, but I think the net result was at least, I mean, uh, and I don't know how it's worked for you, but um, you know, you and I got to talking and actually realized that you're like a, a normal. Guy like us and in this kind of circle of entrepreneurs that are serving other agency owners, and, and then we've actually kind of been able to co-create some really cool content together and introduce you to our audience. and And I don't I don't know how much business that's turned out for you, but um, you know, i valued getting to know you and, and creating that connection. And I'm I you know I think that that eye-catching outreach. Uh, I'm not saying that's the only way that you can reach. I'm going to all of a sudden get all these boxes in the mail. But um, it, 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 it stood out to me and it made an impression. And I think that's what your whole like ethos is with finding your dream clients is that you're you're not trying to sell them through, through this stuff. You're just trying to get a meeting.
1: Like, yeah, you did like a great job of kind of explaining like, you know, that experience from your side and just like to give you the, the angle from my side is again, I did that to probably about 10 people. So it wasn't, um a massive campaign and everyone was very, very personalized. There's a lot of time and energy that went into each of those. And you know, it's it turned into something phenomenal because again, like I said, I, you know, I've been on your podcast now, I've been on like multiple webinars or events with like your audience. And so like there's a lot of benefits that brought to me because you're kind of an influencer in the same space. And you know, use that same approach for a certain group of clients that I thought would be a really good fit to work with. Um, some of those clients I'm still working with today. Um, even that I ran that for about a year and a half ago, so that has led to these great long-term clients for me. Um, but the the thing that I would say that I've I've learned the most about running these campaigns is, I guess, a few things: is that first of all, if like your service isn't already great, or your sales process isn't already refined, the eye-catching outreach is not going to fix that. Um, I've seen a lot of companies use these. But if their marketing material or their web presence or like their overall like, you know, they're they're not at the level that they're reaching for. Like, you're not going to get to a Fortune 500 client if you're not already at that level of playing there. So, like, um, that's one of the things I would say is like I've seen a lot of people aim unrealistically for that, or just thinking that like it's gonna you know fix or solve all of their problems. So I almost say like you've got to like I, I tra- tell people to try to. Like if you're going to use these, try to duplicate your best client because you've got a case study for success. You've got relevance um, and use that and, or maybe stretch a little above that, but like you just don't go unrealistically or you, even if you get the meeting, you won't be able to close it because that's that's a problem I've seen a handful of times with, with people that use a strategy. And um, the other thing is just to realize it's a lot of time and a lot of investment. So like if, you're, if your contract's not worth I'd say at least 30 to 50,000 or more, um, then it's probably almost like not worth doing all these all the time. Um, just because, again, it's a lot of time investment. There's a lot of cost investment with doing this kind of outreach as well.
0: I think it's, those are really good takeaways that if you're not serving Fortune 500 right now, and then you're like, oh man, I heard this podcast from Jake and he's gonna help me get Fortune 500 clients. And then you use this stuff and you get a meeting with somebody at a Fortune 500 client. And and then you don't know what to do with that, or you're not playing by the rules that they are used to playing by. Then this could blow up in your face or be a huge waste of time and money. But if you're already playing at that level, or 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 whatever your level is, that this methodology could help you get more of those um, those ideal clients, which is cool. And one of the things that I think I don't know if you still have it on your website, but uh, you had something about like a worksheet of coming up, like creating your 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 top thirty, like your dream client list. And I think that's a really useful exercise for people because I feel like it's so rare that that um, service providers sit down and kind of dream a little bit about who they want to have as clients. And I do think it's it's good to be a little bit realistic in that, but, but, but maybe even not. Just even coming up with that dream client list uh, is a useful exercise, whether or not you're going to use this method of outreach.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really powerful because I mean, most agencies don't need to sign a hundred new clients this year. You know, for for most of them, you're you're looking for you know maybe five to ten to fifteen good clients in a year, um, and so and some of them even less than that if you're if you're doing just a few really really high quality clients. So, doing that dream client exercise of just saying, "Hey, let's find thirty people who are exactly I want to work with," and then. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in front of them. Um, can be a really, really powerful strategy if you've got again a high customer lifetime value. If if your if your business is built on volume of doing a lot of you know smaller projects, then it doesn't quite work as well. But if you're getting up there in that twenty, thirty thousand you know or higher price points, then you can really start to think with this strategy, and it can be really effective.
0: What are some of the things that? uh, I know you sent me the book, the hollowed out book or whatever. And, um, what are some of the other, uh, just, just for like brain candy, what are some other out, uh, eye catching outreach that you've, uh, either done for yourself or for your clients?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, the eye catching stuff is fun. I've sent everything from cakes to Donald Trump pinatas. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> so I didn't you know, see that coming. We,
1: yeah, yeah, so that one uh, that was that got some good reactions and some complete non-responses. So, I was gonna
0: say that's a very that's a very that's a partisan thing. Like you're choosing a side. You're saying this is this is what I think, um, which you know, or, yeah. or hoping that they have a good sense of humor.
1: But um, those are some of kind of like the eye-catching ones. But um, the other thing I would say is that even on like the even just doing really good quality cold emails and social media outreach can also be effective. Literally one of our clients, we sent a 15 second video through Instagram and started an engagement that led to like a massive outdoor brand as a client. Um, so like, it, cause we were, well, there were a social media agency and so we wanted to get in front of them. So like we just hit them where they were and literally got direct straight to the director of social media that way. So um, it's kind of thinking through that, but even like cold emailing, um, you know, you, if you really get good at the art of cold emailing, thinking through like how to write a message, how to convey someone, not writing a massive essay that's too long for them to read. But um, if you, if you really get good at that, um, that can be an entire channel to open things up as well. And again, you're not going to send one email. You're not going to send one cake. And then suddenly it's done. Like you mentioned earlier, this stuff takes tons and tons of follow-ups. Like I, I probably had to follow up with you at least four times to get that, you know, meeting scheduled and, some of our other clients, I'm not even, it's, it's like three months in, <laughs> like after we've sent this like cake or something, uh, that we finally get that meeting on the books. And literally, you just got to remember, like, people are busy. Like you said, you were just in the middle of all this chaotic stuff. You had this package, you set it on the side of the table, and you just left it there. But it just takes a lot of time and follow-up to get through all these as well.
0: I think we were talking about that on on our, our uh mastermind program. I was trying to get in contact with Ash Maria, who wrote the book Running Lean and Um, and and I, I love that it doesn't even have to be these over the top physical things. And I think I was having a hard time on the follow-up. Like I kept emailing him and and we had had a short conversation at one point, but then it kind of went, it kind of went to crickets. Right. And then I kind of emailed him, Hey, let's get some time to meet. Hey, let's get some time to meet. Hey, let's get some time to meet. And I'm just like, you know what? I I sent him like a, a photo of, uh, of a cat and like a cactus, like just one of those like funny internet photos. And, and then it was that photo that, you know, finally he replies to that one and says, here's my meeting link. Like here, let's get some time together. Um, and I think that that's, that's interesting is that, I mean, how many emails, I don't know if your inbox is like mine, but I get so many just like boring, typical, I am a dev shop in, Minnesota and I do these 10 services and, oh, hey, did you get my email last week about the 10 services that I do? Oh, hey, this is my last try to see if you want the 10 services. I'm just like, dude, like, shut up. Like, like what, what kind <laughs> of different things can you do in email that makes it eye-catching or it makes it personalized or makes it something that um, doesn't just come across like you're a email harvesting spammer?
1: recently even started this other podcast called Leaders on Marketing, where I'm interviewing these in-house um, marketing directors because so many people are trying to sell to them, but no one even knows what their lives are like. And one of the things I asked them is, I was like, how do you, how do you make these decisions when people are constantly trying to bombard you and sell you things? And I've had multiple people be like, well, if I see an email and I don't know that it's customized, if it doesn't look you know, custom, I just immediately delete it. If they think it's like a spam. And so literally just taking some time, like whenever you're doing these like cold emails, just taking time to literally customize the opening paragraph can do wonders. And literally the most of the rest of it can be like almost the same thing, like the pitch, but customizing that intro. goes a really long way to actually getting someone to respond to you. Cause otherwise, like if they, if you just go straight into the pitch or it's just like some general opening line, it's like so easy to read through that and just, um, you know, immediately write that off but customizing the opening paragraph is one thing that'll help and then like you said doing like the goofy weird stuff um i don't know like i literally i love it whenever i'm doing a cold email and i find like i just look and it, you can't do it for every person some people are just really bland and boring <laughs> online and it's you know it's hard it's, it's like you don't know if i don't even know if it would resonate with them so it's a little harder but um whenever i find something to go off of you know i try to just like live that up and do some sort of weird meme or some ridiculous subject line or something like that, that hooks off of something about that I found out about them online. And that does a lot to just like, you know, actually catch people's attention.
0: You mentioned that sometimes this takes a while to get the response. You mentioned even the, the time period of months. Uh, a lot of times I find that when I am talking to to people that are doing some kind of outbound campaign, they fall into the the trap or the mistake of they send out, you know, 20, 30 emails one day and then they don't get a response and they're like, oh, this doesn't work. Outbound doesn't work. <laughs> so let's talk about the no response because I, I tell people all the time, no response does not mean no uh, you have to keep at it, but obviously there's probably a little bit of a Goldilocks phenomenon here of not too hot, not too cold. Uh, and but I feel like most people are probably on the too cold end. They're they're not doing enough uh, outbound or up on follow up. How do you recommend people um, do that? Like, what kind of persistence level do you have, and at what point do you uh, cut the opportunity or the lead loose?
1: Yeah, so typically um, a standard just flow that I use just one email a week for the first three weeks um, is kind of how I start, and then I would normally give that even like a two week gap or so, um, just because I recognize that I think a lot of times the outreach is just timing, and like when when I see like meetings get scheduled so many times, like um, it's just a matter of timing, or when I do get that third email goes out or something, and I get a response, people would be like, oh, I was at a conference or just really crazy launching a new project or something. You know, I typically, that's kind of how I start is like one email a week for three weeks and I'll take a little break and then I'll try like a new thread, like a new subject line, try something differently um, there. And then, you know, follow up on that again, like once or twice. And then I just, you know, will then, you know, if I go to all the, like the five or six sequence email campaigns, that's when I start getting to like the really goofy weird stuff out there and just trying stuff
0: um. i mean at some point if you haven't gotten a response i mean what's the risk i mean you could you could upset somebody i guess or you could annoy them uh but i think if you did so in an entertaining or humorous way maybe maybe you get a get out of jail free card um I don't know. I mean, are, do you do you find yourself in situations just just thinking about the fears people have? I'm just I'm just trying to see if those fears are even valid fears. Do you ever find yourself in the situation where people are literally like, "Jake, don't ever email me again. You suck," or is it just like, "No, hey, just I I, I kind of opt out." Like, are, are they ever sending you the response that I think some people imagine in their heads that they're going to get?
1: Uh, I've had a few people like haters, you know, um, <laughs> just completely angry. <laughs> like a lot of people just write back like unsubscribe because there's so many like auto-generated spammers that just send a response until someone until they or send emails till there's a response. So like you get a lot of like you do like I I will say that if as you if you really embrace this, you will get some haters or angry people out there, but if they if they're customized, you pro- you will get less haters. You'll just get no's. But if you actually go down the more like just blanketed Approach you, you get some some major haters. Uh, <laughs> so, um but but yeah, and the customized thing, it's it's typically not that terrible. The worst thing you are going to get is no, and that's better than nothing because you, you don't have to email them again. So,
0: mm. so it's it's better to uh, your philosophy is is kind of like it's better to finally realize that they're not interested than to continue wasting energy on somebody that might just never respond to you.
1: Yeah, pretty much, and you know, and and again, and, and I think the. One of the other distinctions I think to make is that um, when you look at these, if like when you're looking at doing an outreach campaign, in terms of how long and how persistent you're going to be, it's also helpful to think about like how finite is your little universe of ideal clients. Um, You know, like for us, we had 30 event planners and those were literally the top 30 event planners. So it was like, well, we're just going to keep going and like even if they say no, we're going to keep trying. Like, <laughs> you know, that's like that's like the the philosophy there is when they reject us, we're like, "Oh, can we follow up in 3 months and like talk again then?" Yeah. And so like you know, when you're in a finite universe where there's a small number of clients, like you just have to be resilient and even like overcome those nos. But if you're in an industry where there's a thousand or 10,000 potential clients, then like you don't have to be quite as finite um, or as persistent and if you don't get something with someone within like three or four touch points you could consider you know adding more to the mix you might get better results than continuing to just like go on and on with that same group
0: (laughs) trying to avoid the uh restraining order (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) i assume that has not yet happened
1: (laughs) oh no definitely not. No, it's never, it's never gotten that bad. So
0: <laughs> one of the things that we talked about, uh, on our, our mastermind program was, um, uh, some of the, the research of so finding out information about people kind of ethically stalking them on the internet. I think you gave an example or a story about, uh, sending somebody like a customized star Wars poster or something that was just highly unique to their interests that you found out on social media. So, um, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Like what kind of research process do you put in on your, uh, your potential prospects? Can you go too far with that or, or kind of freak somebody out?
1: Yeah, I, whenever I say this, like the simple rule is like stalk them professionally, not personally.
0: Um, <laughs> mm, that's, so I think it's like, a tweetable right there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, like using their LinkedIn is good. Um, Twitter is is can be good or bad. Uh, if they're posting lots of professional stuff on Twitter, then I think that that's good. But if they're just tweeting with their friends, then it's probably not good. And Facebook, I would generally say, is off limits. Mm, um, interesting. And in some cases, well, I guess some again, some people use Facebook professionally. But if again, it's almost like the Twitter thing. If if it's all personal stuff that's getting a little weird because if like the star Wars thing um, was actually a, uh, a slightly warm connection I had there with this guy and use that to kind of like um, push it further. So I knew i like enough that that would, I'd feel comfortable going there. But if that were someone totally cold, um, it may have been a little weird, maybe not depending on how much he had on his like profiles about that. But yeah, I would say, you know, just it's kind of a thin line to walk, you know, and never, I wouldn't compliment people like, oh, your picture of your kids was really cute, you know, that's weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can but see, like, I can
0: see how that would, that would make, that would, that would get weird really fast.
1: Yeah. So it's like more so like looking at their accomplishments or like blog posts are amazing for using to personalize. If you can find any like blog posts that they've written or anything like that, again, on like the professional side or, I think you actually, um,
0: yeah. um, when you reached out to me, I think you you mentioned a couple of blog posts I had on my personal blog, which was um, interesting. You were like, oh, hey, this really resonated. And it wasn't even, it wasn't like the, the most recent post. It was a few down, which I don't know if that was intentional or you just found something that was really interesting to you. But I thought that was, that was interesting, right? You used some of my content. You kind of said, hey, I read your ideas and... I think they're interesting and I like them for XYZ reason and you know, if you have time to connect. I mean that that giving people I, I mean, I think that's a big compliment in, in a way. I mean, even though you're kind of strategically complimenting them, but telling them, Hey, I, I, I read, you know, I read your stuff, that that's a that, that means a lot to people.
1: Yeah. And that, like that alone right there, like probably could have almost been an even easier door opener with you. Um, like think about it as bloggers, we constantly write stuff and 90% of the time you put something out in the world and you maybe get like one or two people that like comment or write about it. But like the last time someone ever wrote you something about how like a blog post was like really great and like phenomenal and how it made an impact on them. Um, like again like that's that there can also be a door opener to someone as well who's like an influencer or um anything like that so again i'll just kind of taking those different angles or just making it personalized off of that and just finding something to hook on to
0: something i've found that resonates with people or just jumps out at them and i've done this on a couple of our live programs is i'll just do like live cold calling and um I think what I what, what I'm the most surprised about is the comment I get back from people. that go, they go. Wait, you can just call people. <laughs> you, you can just you can just email people. Like I I don't know. Like is there what is what is the deal with that kind of unwritten rule? Is it fear of public speaking? Fear of rejection? Uh, what what do you, what have you done to overcome that? Is it just that this is your thing and you're super cozy with it? Uh, what kind of advice or steps could you give to somebody who maybe is uh, listening to all this stuff but they're they're still kind of uneasy about? about doing it, about making that first outreach, mailing the, the, the box, sending the email, picking up the phone. Uh, is there any tips or secrets around um, what you've done to make that easier or better?
1: One of the, the biggest things I would say is just that like when people think about it like sales, then like it's kind of like has this negative weird connotation. But um, for people that think about it and like uh, if you put in like the analogy of like a doctor and like you're helping someone fix their problem, and if you really believe in your service and believe that it's going to help people, then like it's your duty to sell this. Like you're going to make their lives better. And um, when you put it in that context, and like that only works if you really believe in your service and you really believe you have a quality offering, um, then you should feel like good about putting yourself out there. And like you'll want to market yourself and you'll want to sell more because you're creating more value and you're helping more people. And so just like putting sales in that mindset and making it not sales, but just how like you're putting yourself out there to try to help more people. Um, and when you, when you put it in that mindset, I think it completely changed the game of how you look and think about the whole sales thing, which some people find scary or sleazy to start with.
0: Mm. So it's not even, I mean, cause people will, will say things like, Oh, is this like, teach me how to cold call. And I'm always like, ah, like, I mean, you know, getting a giant list and having, you know, just doing fifty to a hundred calls a day isn't really what you're you're talking about, a more strategic relationship building approach that um I mean obviously you you want it to turn into business eventually, but that might not be you can't come up to the door with that like that t-shirt on that says, uh, would you like to buy something from me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You, you mean like as like an agency owner, like you're going in there you're trying to identify a problem and then help them fix that problem. So like, you're not even going in there trying to sell, you're just trying to have a conversation. Everyone thinks that was like a, and that's another mistake. Sometimes people make whenever they do try cold emails, like they try to make this whole sale in the email. And it's just like, no, like just get the general idea of what you can do to help them across and then get a phone call. And on that, like the goal of the email is to get a phone call. The goal of the phone call is probably get another phone call <laughs> and then to make a sale, <laughs> yeah. you know, um,
0: or, or so, even just like, identify yeah. that there's an interest in maybe uh, something, you know.
1: Yeah, that's better. Yeah. The first phone call to like identify that it's even a fit. Yeah. And then like in subsequent calls, I actually like close the deal. But um, yeah, so it's just kind of like putting it in that mindset of just getting to that next step is makes it a lot easier. <laughs>
0: Before we get into lightning round, um, you mentioned, you kind of alluded to this, that you, uh, you left your other business because you went to, uh, you wanted to live abroad and kind of, uh, have a, 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 I don't want to use the word alternative lifestyle. Different. I mean nomadic lifestyle uh, for for several years. Uh, and I know a lot of people. We could probably have a whole episode on on this. Uh, maybe a panel discussion or something. But a lot of people really stressed about having an office or not having an office or working from home. And you kind of have taken that to the extreme. in that you've um, you've ran your business from all over the world. Um, how how do you make that work?
1: Um. It. So the biggest thing I would say that helps is that whenever the first year we traveled, we moved a lot and that is very hard, but whenever you just travel and you live somewhere for two months, three months or six months at a time, you can get into a good rhythm and set that up and establish yourself. Um, But it, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, first of all, just building your, your sales and marketing channels where they're completely um, independent from your location. So, you know, for me, that first step was, you know, to get to a point where my sales were no longer coming from the networking and the in person events, which is actually how I started. Um, so that was like the first big hurdle for me. And once you you break that to where your income and your location are no longer tied together, then it's pretty easy to just move around wherever. And it's just a matter of getting in the rhythm, figuring out how to make that work, and almost just like getting comfortable working in. Different environments. Um, and I don't, th- I don't, maybe not every personality would be up for it. Um, but it's, you know, it, it has its challenges. I'm, I'm recording this interview from literally an office at uh, my parents' house right now as I'm visiting them for the week. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place in terms of where we are, uh, where I located and work from. But it's taken time to get used to being able to just sit down anywhere and get in the zone, regardless of the surroundings.
0: I guess, do you think that's overall, I mean, has that added additional comp complexity to the business or is there also some benefit that maybe outweighs that just from a, a brass tax business side? I mean, are you meeting potential clients or using your your worldly travels to meet people in different markets and things like that?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that um, I would say that... I haven't, I've done, I've met some people abroad that I think has led to some business, but not that much. Most of the travel has been for enjoyment, but by doing all this world travel and living in all these different countries, um, it has made me much more international in my like appeal of people who I work with. And so it's been actually very interesting, but I don't know if this is a result of this or not, but over half of my current clients, um, are not based in the United States. And I, that just slowly kind of happened. It wasn't intentional. Um, but it started to just kind of expand my mindset. And I think, you know, years ago, before I traveled, if I would have started getting inquiries from, you know, um, agencies in other countries, I probably would have like almost written them off. But now I've kind of realized there's actually a lot of value you can deliver there a lot of ways you can help them as well. So I've, it's been an interesting shift in my business as well.
0: Nice. Very cool. Well, we could probably like I said, dedicate a whole episode to, uh, nomadic living. And so it's always a topic that jumps out at me as, uh, as being very interesting just because, um, I guess being somebody that has, uh, you know, uh, wife and two kids and, you know, some solid roots with family here locally. Uh, you know, we talk about that all the time of, of trying to time, a, 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 a at least an extended trip sometime in the next couple of years. Um, but to, to talk to somebody who's done that, um, quite regularly over the last few years is is always impressive uh are you ready for lightning round i am ready all right jake what is the best advice you've ever received uh one of the biggest things i
1: think is just the idea of just creating value for others and if you can create value in whatever way that is the more value you create in the world the more that comes back to you um i think that was tony robbins or napoleon hill or someone way back then and that simple idea has stuck in my head for a very long time. And even when I'm not selling, I always try to think of every interaction that I'm in to try to create value for the other person. Um, and so that has just been one kind of mantra that has stuck with me through life.
0: That's great. I love that. Even just thinking about that on a, uh, a micro interaction level of every interaction that you have of uh, making sure the other person got some value out of that, which, which can be, I mean, maybe can you give me an example of that on a small scale of, I mean, are you talking about, you know, complimenting them? Is, is that an example of value or are, are you like talking to the Starbucks barista and saying like, Hey, let me tell you about creative outbound, you know, uh, outbound creative and how you can uh, get more clients for your, uh, I'm sure your you know, part-time coaching business or something like, like, what does that look like on a small scale?
1: Yeah. I mean, like in every small little interaction, it's hard. You can just try to be a positive person, but in at least every conversation I have with someone, even if like I end up on a call with someone and we're not going to work together, I try to leave them with like a book recommendation or some other like resource that they can go to or something else they can do or you know, try to just give them some sort of piece of advice that no matter what, even if... We don't work together, you know, they're going to walk away better, even if they're a friend or something. And it's just a friendly conversation of just trying to say, oh, there's this other thing that I thought you might be interested in. So just all that kind of stuff, um, I think helps a lot.
0: Nice. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success?
1: Uh, I would say probably the simple routine of waking up every morning and working on marketing my own business and my own projects first before ever working on client work. Um, I've been doing that for years now and, uh, it literally has just been the most, you know, even just one hour every morning just adds up. And over time that just leads to tons and tons of growth and opportunity.
0: That's great. I love that. Just putting that first prime hour on your own business. Um, and then the clients get the leftovers. But I think it's more about <laughs> like, like putting your oxygen you mask on first. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing. If you guys if you guys yeah. end up working with Jake, you're not getting the leftovers. It's, it's, that's, that's the wrong way to word it. So uh, what's a, an internet resource or a tool that you use that uh, you think our, our, our listeners would like?
1: One recent blog that I've been enjoying a lot that I think that uh, the audience will get a lot out of, especially with how much we've been talking about outreach lately, um, is a website, Salesfolk. Um, this girl, Heather, basically it's almost purely about cold emailing and it really can be go, um, anything on cold outreach, but she's got tons and tons of stuff there. That's, it's not like the technical, but it's really like the messaging. And I think that's the hard stuff to learn. And so she's got a ton of content, um, out there just purely on like messaging of, Outreach, and so you know I don't have anywhere near that much stuff on like the actual messaging side of things on my blog. So I think her her site's a really good place for people to go if they're looking to build their messaging better.
0: Nice, very cool. What book would you recommend, and why?
1: Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People is the number one book that I always recommend on podcasts because I believe if more people in the world read this book, the world would be a better place, and people would be better conversationalists. So. It's an old classic by Dale Carnegie. Will help you in conversations. Will help you in sales and so many things. And it's just a, a phenomenal read for anyone who hasn't read it. I
0: I actually used to read that every year. Um, that was the first book, probably the first real business business type book, business communications. I mean, it's not it's not just business. It's it's, it's bigger than that. But I remember I read that uh, in in college. My business communications teacher assigned that, and it uh, each each chapter was like. Um, each week of our our class, he basically assign us a chapter, and we would he'd assign us some kind of assignment uh, based on that chapter. And uh, I think that you know one of the things I always take away is you know somebody's name is the sweetest sound in the world to themselves. And so if you're anywhere, you can you know just use somebody's name in conversation, and that just creates an instant connection. Whether that's the grocery store or um, you know with your clients and things like that. So I, there's there's so much gold in that book, and and actually it's out of copyright, so you can. Um, if you, if you don't want to buy it, I think you can just Google, uh, how to win friends PDF and it's, uh, it's totally legit. You don't, uh, you're not like pirating that. So, um, it doesn't even cost any money. So nice recommendation. Nobody's recommended that book yet. So you, you get the Dale Carnegie, how to win friends, uh, crown Jake. So, uh, nice job.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> and I, uh, Brent, I appreciate it. Now we're going to use each other's names throughout every sentence of the interview. But uh, yeah. yeah, there you <laughs> no, go. Um, (laughs) so
0: Jake, uh, where can uh, folks learn about you and, uh, do you have anything that they can, uh, download or, or, uh, find out more?
1: Yeah. If you go to jake-jorgevin.com, um, if you head over there, there's, I have a a free email course that kind of walks through a lot of the the mindset behind, um, I just like the winning your dream clients and a lot of the dream client campaigns that I've talked about there. So, um, that email course is probably like the best free spot for people to start, um, and I've also got a podcast working without pants that you can check out that you've been on and almost about a hundred other agency owners. And, um, yeah. And then the other thing is just outbound creative is where I kind of do all my consulting work. So those are the places to look for me online.
0: My biggest regret, not really my biggest regret. One of my regrets is that I, I went on your podcast and I was, I, I wore pants. I was like, this is my opportunity to do a <laughs> podcast in my underwear. Um, but uh, I think I'm, I might be on your show again soon. Uh, I think we have something scheduled coming up. So uh, I'm just throwing that out there that I think the second time around it's going to be without pants.
1: I expect you to be fully nude for this. <laughs> <time, so.
0: laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but you know, we couldn't, we'll, we'll get crazy. I don't know. I don't know where this interview is going, Jake, but Hey, you know what? Thank you so much, uh, for being on our program, man. Uh, I think you dropped a lot of actionable, uh, insights today on how people can use, uh, outbound or creative outbound to, um, get more clients, more of their dream clients, uh, connect with people more authentically, or even, you know, get on podcasts or connect with influencers. I think there's a lot of uses for the methods that you walked through today. I knew, I, I know I took away uh, a lot of notes and things that maybe we weren't doing hundred percent that I could be doing more or better. And, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, uh, took away a lot of that stuff as well. So thanks uh, for being on the program, Jake.
1: Thanks for having me on here,
0: Brent. All right, guys, that's it for our episode this week. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.